Overdue. Overdue is the nothing personal word of the day. December 17th, 2020. Overdue as in an overdue. What is overdue? I always associate overdue, by the way, with library books. In the old days, you'd take out a book from the library and you'd get a, you'd get a library stamp that said when it was due back. And if you didn't give it back by that date, then it was an overdue library book. Payments overdue. Bills overdue. Amount overdue. Overdue just means that something was supposed to have happened. It didn't happen. And it better happen now. Because if you wait another day, that will make it even more overdue. Sometimes things are so overdue that you just say, screw it. Just keep the book. We're going to charge you $9.99 and pretend you lost the book. Keep it. Sometimes you don't pay bills for so long that the collection company just says, forget it. It's so overdue. I'm not going to bother. The best thing to do with something D-O that's overdue, D-U-E, is you figure out the perfect time to get the biggest bang for your buck. Like you walk into that library with the book all proud and you show them the card. Here you go. Here's your book back. Or when you pay a bill, you write a little note. Final payment. Or here you go, a-hole. When you're paying a bill that you don't want to pay, an overdue bill. What was overdue? Why is it the word of the day? It's actually something far more interesting, far more serious, far more controversial. Except baseball is trying to make it not controversial. They're trying to make it as though this was overdue, the recognition of the Negro Leagues. What happened? Back in the 20s and 30s and 40s and even after that, even when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, you know that Jackie Robinson was uh, the first black player to be allowed to play Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball was all white, not because they there were no good black players. They were all white because they were all racist and they didn't want black players playing in Major League Baseball. So they gave black people a different place to play. And it was called the Negro Leagues. And they would play baseball and they'd hit home runs and they would get base hits and they'd strike people out. And they went on their way and played. As the years passed and racism became less accepted, the Negro Leagues started to gain more and more recognition. There was a museum that I've been to, actually, and I'm totally blanking, but I want to say it's in Kansas City. Oh, God, Coca. Is the Negro Museum in Kansas City? It's in a city where I, with barbecue, because I know that I went to get a meal after going to the museum that was famous. So that could be St. Louis, maybe, or it could be, it is Kansas City. Thank you, Coca. (laughs) I'm not even a big foodie, and I associate my visit to the Negro League Museum with having an amazing barbecue meal, which is not to say anything bad about either the meal, the city, or the museum. So anyway, there's museums. There are uh, a lot of attention. I got a chance to meet and get an autograph from Buck O'Neill, very famous Negro League player. I got a chance to sit and watch games with Andre Dawson and talk to Andre about the Negro Leagues. And I got to speak to D. Gordon about it, who had a big interest in it, obviously, because he was a learned player. And what I knew about them was that there were a few good players, but my knowledge was really based on Satchel Paige. 
And I had not really spent much time learning about Josh Gibson or even Buck O'Neill until I met him. Isn't that what you do when you meet someone, all of a sudden you learn about them and then that sort of makes up for the inadequacy of not having known them beforehand, but you learn about them after. And then you go back in time and say, my God, I'm pretending that I knew about you when I met you, when in fact, I only learned about you after I met you. And I pretend that I knew about you when I did know you and meet you. And I feel like crap about that. Am I the only one who does that, Coco? So that, so baseball decided yesterday, and it's a very interesting decision. The Negro leagues will now be considered major league. What does that mean? That's very bizarre. Sort of like ex post facto decision. Whatever you did in the Negro Leagues, you are now counted as a major league player. I wonder if that goes for pension for people who are in the major leagues, the Negro Leagues for over 10 years. Is MLB going to now give them full pension rights if any of them are alive or to their families, descendants? They're certainly not going to get after the fact any money like the major league minimum at the time, are they going to pay back in reparations so that they all would have earned the minimum? No, I doubt they're doing that. Turns out all baseball's doing is getting a PR moment out of this, but they manipulated it to a point where none of the real major statistical records will change. They get to say that they are being woke and that they are doing something that's long overdue. And I ask again, for the second time this week, what changed between now and two years ago and four years ago and 10 years ago? Nothing. Except a pressure to get any sort of positive spin for what you are doing from a racial and racism perspective. That's changed. It's necessary now for leagues to do things that was they only aspirationally talked about before. So they sit down and they say, all right, let's just make sure we think about this and do this right. So we're going to announce the Negro Leagues, our major league. We'll have a statement by Rob Manford. I didn't see any statements at all as part of their release from any of the current African-American players. I didn't see any statements as part of the release from any of the people in the alliance that I know that Giancarlo Stanton's a part of, as well as Tory Hunter, et cetera. I didn't see any release or any statement from Hank Aaron or any of the Hall of Famers, any of the Black Hall of Famers. What I saw was a statement that talked about overdue. That was the quote talked about what they're doing with stats. So here's what it is. If you played in the Negro Leagues from 1920 to 1948, the view is you should have been in the major leagues. But if you played in the Negro Leagues from 1948 and on, that was more like the minor leagues because once Jackie Jackie Robinson was able to become a major leaguer and the Dodgers signed him to play in Brooklyn, then there were plenty of opportunities for black players. Therefore, the Negro leagues became more minor leagues. So we're not going to give minor league stats major league significance. Okay. What does that mean? That means that Hank Aaron and all the home runs he hit in the Negro leagues don't count. That means that Satchel Page is going to get quite a few more victories 
and is going to go up the career list. It means that Willie Mays actually gets a few more hits, a few more home runs. It means that Josh Gibson has a couple hundred home runs now, when in fact I think he may have had five or six or even fewer Coca in the big leagues. But what does it actually do for improving the two things that we heard about this week. Kenny Williams is the only African-American president of baseball operations. There was a big article written that with the firing of Mike Hill and the hiring of Kim Ang and Dave Dombrowski and the guy named in LA, can you imagine? I can't think of his name. I wanted to say it's Peter but I can't think of the new GM of the Los Angeles Angels right now, Coca. All of the hirings and Jared Porter in New York, there's not anyone else African-American. And there was a lot of talk this offseason that we need more African-Americans. We got to find a way. Well, they got the most qualified one. His name is Perry. Thank you. Oh, I get it. Perry Mason, as in Scott Boris saying Perry Mason. His name is Perry. Thank you, Coca. That was from yesterday's show, folks. In case today's your first day listening to Nothing Personal, in which case, welcome to the show. So what's interesting is that all the talk that we have to do better, we will do better, we need to do better, we're going to do better, they did worse. Kenny Williams is so frustrated with the lack of hiring of anybody African-American into positions of power on the baseball side that he's really sort of giving up. Mike Hill is not going to give up. Mike Hill should be running a baseball team, and if he's not this year, hopefully he will next year. But what baseball loves doing And I'm sorry to say this. No, I'm not. I'm not in baseball anymore. This is what I do on Nothing Personal. They needed a black victory. And to do it, they chose this as the moment to release the fact that the Negro Leagues will now be considered the major leagues. And then they manufactured the years that they were going to do it. They had a bunch of people saying, we thought about this long and hard. We talked to a bunch of different constituents. We talked to historians in baseball. We talked to this, we talked to that. It's all a crock of crap. They've been able to do this for years, but to do it now, they had to because to them, for whatever reason, and I know the reason because I used to be in the chair, when you can't deliver what people want, you deliver what you can give and you tell them it's what they need. It's the oldest trick in the book. You tell somebody you want something, you don't get it. And you say, hey, be thankful for what you have. That's what your parents would always tell you. There's always someone richer. There's always someone poor. You can't always get what you want, the Rolling Stones said. But if you try sometimes, you get what you need. Baseball here is trying to make amends for decades of inaction. Centuries of racism, systemic and otherwise. But now it's all solved because the Negro Leagues are officially, and everyone's coming out, especially those in the white media, saying what a big moment, so important, finally giving them the recognition they so richly deserved. And it's not that my take is that they don't deserve it. 
My take is I don't like giving credit to people who are doing something that should have been done long ago. And the only reason it wasn't done is they weren't forced to do it. And now they feel because of 2020, they're forced to do it. So maybe that's a positive. Maybe I should take a different view, Coca. And I should say, you know what? Be a consequentialist, which I generally am. Be a consequentialist. Don't worry about the fact that baseball felt they were forced to do it. Don't worry about the fact that this is purely a PR stunt trying to cover up the reality of what is an absolute disgrace in terms of hiring of qualified black individuals in positions of power. Instead, say how great it is that the moment came because you know what? It could have been worse. Be a glass half full guy. Look, my water bottle is one quarter empty. Be the three quarters full guy and say, it happened today and let's keep going. Okay. The Negro Leagues have gotten long overdue recognition. Let's keep going. I don't know how to segue that to the NFL, Coca. You keep teaching me transitions. We speak after every show. You tell me everything I did wrong, what I did right, which, by the way, makes the post-show conversations very short. Here's what you did wrong. You've got to find a way to keep listeners engaged by transitioning to the next topic. When you're talking about the Negro Leagues, find a way, Samson. That's your job. That's why you're paid more than I am. Find a way to talk about Roger Goodell and the owners' meetings that were done virtually in Dallas where they didn't vote on doing a 17th game in the NFL next season yet, and they didn't vote to reduce preseason or keep preseason the same. Find a goddamn way, Samson. Okay, here's my segue. Nothing personal word of the day is overdue. You know what else is overdue? The NFL owners admitting that they want to keep preseason exactly where it is because they get paid because season ticket holders have to buy tickets to those preseason games when they buy season tickets. So owners like Jerry Jones will never be in favor of reducing the number of preseason games in order to add a regular season game because it will cost them extra money because the cost of a preseason game is the same as the cost for a regular season game. Okay. Did that work? Was that acceptable? Well, the NFL owners met virtually and they decided to delay two things. One, as I said, remember the deal they cut with the union in the NFL that in 2021, they can add a 17th week. Remember all that? The big stars said, we don't want a 17th week. We get hurt. We don't want to play. We're not getting paid enough for it. And meanwhile, other players said, we'll do it because eventually our salaries are going to go up because the NFL is going to get more money. It's an extra week of broadcasting and we get to share in the revenue. So the cap will go up and yada, yada, yada. Well, meanwhile, the NFL, all they had to do because they have the right under the collective bargaining agreement to add the 17th week, All they had to do was a perfunctory vote of the ownership, and all of a sudden there'd be 17 weeks of football. All of a sudden to be undefeated, you have to be 17 and 0. All of a sudden, if a team doesn't win like the Jets or Lions or Browns, their 0 16 record would be no longer a record because eventually there'll be an 0 17 team. Why in the name of Heavenly Father? And all that is sacred to your checkbook. Did the owners not approve a 17th week? And the reason why they deferred the vote is that Roger Goodell and the other owners on the labor committee knew very well that the 17th game 
is leverage in negotiating with the players over what is going to be another labor negotiation before the start of the 2021 football season. The NFL was only too happy to play in front of a few fans this year. Next year, they will not be. They will demand that there is full capacity and they're not going to want to play until they can get full capacity. The NFL is more than happy this year to have a great PR announcement. We are happy to say that all first responders who have already been vaccinated, we're inviting them as guests to the Super Bowl. And they come off all great. We're taking care of first responders like their commercial they did before the virtual draft where they did that whole ode to first responders. Listen, I love first responders. I need first responders. I can't tell you how thankful I am to first responders, but I hate the feeling of using them. It's how I feel when during games, there's this stand up and cheer for a veteran who stands up and gets stared at by 20,000 people. And the NFL does a good job of this. MLB does it a bit as well. I think it's nicer just to thank a veteran when you see him on the street. I flew recently and I was behind a veteran and I knew he was a veteran because he was old and he had a hat on that said his unit in the war and it was World War II and I didn't give him a standing ovation. I merely said, sir, thank you very much for your service. I appreciate it because my life is easy because of you. That's my go-to line to people because I mean it. And I stand behind that as a way to honor people who have served our country and made it so we can not serve our country and make money from our country and live in a free, very free way. So the NFL announced that they were going to have first responders to the Super Bowl vaccinated. Great. Whatever. When they're negotiating with players by having the 17th game out there as something they have not yet approved, they get to do the following. They get to say, you want 16 games next year? Okay. We're going to need the following four things. You don't want to play the extra game? We're going to trade it off. Or, excuse me, that was a sneeze if you're watching this on YouTube. Or if you want the 17th game, you're going to have to trade something. When you are involved in collective bargaining in between contracts, what that means is that you're in the middle of an existing collective bargaining agreement, like baseball is, like football is. But changes need to be made by one party because there's an inequity that has resulted through an unforeseen circumstance. Each side starts keeping track of what leverage it has because they both know there's going to be a renewed conversation, a renewed negotiation that will require, keep in mind, it will require both sides to have and feel pain. So the NFL is making up its pain. They're smart, the owners. They really are. The way to see is not this but I can assure you, I can assure you that there will be 17 weeks of a season next year in the NFL. What's the Hall of Fame for? Coke and I had a discussion before the show last night, this morning. Word came out that Omar Vizquel 
has been a serial domestic violence criminal. Omar Vizquel, one of the great players of, of my life, he was magic on the field, just to watch. Turns out he's a bit of an asshole off the field, violent, beats his wife, which he denies because everyone who beats his or her wife denies that they do it, of course. His wife from Venezuela had him arrested and then decided not to press charges, forgave him, and then it happened again. They're going through a divorce. Omar Vizquel is claiming that uh, it's part of a divorce. I didn't do anything wrong. We argued. It's just a divorce. Omar Vizquel released in response to a deep article written in The Athletic about Omar Vizquel and about his history and present and potential future, pointed out the fact that he is in his fourth year of candidacy and is a legitimate Hall of Fame candidate. Omar Vizquel's lawyers put out a PR release answering the story, denying the story, denying he ever participated in any domestic violence, which he'd been arrested for, but you're innocent to proven guilty, and said as part of the statement, and he's in his fourth year of Hall of Fame candidacy for Cooperstown. I found it to be funny. And to find humor in domestic violence is impossible. So I wasn't finding humor about domestic violence. I was finding it funny, as I always do, when I find a level of tone deafness that is ear splitting. Because you're good at baseball or any sport or good at your job on Wall Street or good at inventing or writing or running or jumping, What does that have to do with the fact that you are a criminal who beats your spouse? I'm just not sure I'm understanding the difference. Are we supposed to feel sorry for Omar because he's in his fourth year of Hall of Fame candidacy and that his wife who is divorcing him and is obviously trying to extort him by making this up, which is what the claim is, that we have to remind people that we're in the right because we never did anything. And by the way, we're good at baseball. So Coca, before the show, says to me, by the way, when you talk about this, you just think about, and I do spend time because that's what the show is, is I think about stuff to talk about. And then we talk about it. And then I think about what I want to say and how I want to say it. And then Coca says, think about it from this angle and that angle before you sort of decide. Why are people who are POSs off the field, considered Hall of Famers. Why should they be in the Hall of Fame? Example, O.J. Simpson. Why should he be in the Hall of Fame? Example, Kurt Schilling shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because he's such a bad guy. Omar Vizquel, if he's guilty of this, should not be a Hall of Fame candidate. And... 
My question to you, the listeners and viewers of Nothing Personal is this. When you consider a player and his career, do you bifurcate his on-field accomplishments and his off-field life? Is Josh Hamilton a worse player because he was a drug addict? Is he a worse player because he beat his kid? Is he, is someone a better player because they win the Humanitarian of the Year Award? Is Adam Wainwright more a Hall of Fame pitcher for you because he won the Roberto Clemente Award this year and said that winning that award was more important than anything I've done on the field, including winning the World Series? No. What a player does on the field is what determines that player's Hall of Fame candidacy. I never agreed with players not being in the Hall of Fame because they rubbed writers the wrong way. They weren't nice enough. I had a lot of talks with Barry Bonds about this. Barry Bonds believes that he was not in the Hall of Fame, not because of steroids, because he wasn't nice to writers. He was grumpy. And I would say to him, you know, I don't really think that's true because I think that writers generally can look past the fact that you're mean can look past the fact that you didn't want to talk to them, can look past the fact, like Greg Popovich, he's not nice to reporters. And he's a guaranteed Hall of Famer. The reason you're not in the Hall of Fame is that Hall of Famers don't want to put you in because of the steroids you did. And then he'd talk about the fact that, well, other people are doing it too. How come Mike Piazza's in the Hall of Fame, as an example? Or Pudge Rodriguez? And the answer is that there are too many people who do value at too high a level off the field foibles. Is there a difference between steroids and domestic violence? That's what I've been fighting with. It's an easy fight. Yeah. There's a difference between murder like what OJ Simpson did and gambling like what Pete Rose did. There's a difference between gambling on your own team and being a conservative the way Kurt Schilling is. To not put someone in the Hall of Fame because of their political views, when does it stop? You don't get to be in the Hall of Fame because I don't like the way you think. I don't agree with your points of view. Aubrey Huff is a man who I hold in great contempt. I have disdain for Aubrey Huff. He's a misogynist. I don't have disdain for him because he's pro-Trump. I have him in full contempt because I view him as someone who is racist and hates women. But the reason he's not in the Hall of Fame is that he was a bad player. I don't know how to end this, Coca, because it's never going to end. The debate over on-field versus off-field. He brought Lawrence Taylor up pregame, folks, and said Lawrence Taylor cannot be considered the greatest linebacker in history because he liked having sex with underage women, and he's a drug addict. The greatest linebacker in history. I didn't say he's the greatest person in history. I didn't say he's not a pedophile. I merely said he's the greatest linebacker in history. That's it. I don't know where to where where you go with this, Coca. 
I don't think that that's the type of argument. You know the type of argument we have where I'm never going to convince you, you're never going to convince me, and then we use that line? Well, we're going to agree to disagree. That is what people say when they're having an argument and they're just tired of the discussion. We'll agree to disagree. We're going to go our separate ways. That's another expression people use. Let's just go our separate ways. That's like what a breakup is, right? We're going to agree that we're never going to agree. We don't see each other the way we used to see each other. I don't see the way you see you. You don't see me the way you used to see me. So we're going to part ways. (laughs) So Coca, let's agree to disagree because having this debate with you, I am never going to change your mind about Lawrence Taylor. And you are never going to change my mind that Lawrence Taylor is not the greatest linebacker in history with a quote and an emphasis on linebacker. James Harden is one of the great scorers of all time. I don't think we can dispute that, right? He is one of the great scorers of all time. He's won an MVP. He's been in like the top four for MVP for years. I'm going to say like four straight years or four out of six or five out of six or four to six, something outrageous. James Harden is one of the best players in the NBA. James Harden, it's coming out, is one of the biggest selfish guys in the NBA. Teammates can't stand him. Russell Westbrook couldn't stand him. He's gone. Chris Paul couldn't stand him. See you later. Dwight Howard couldn't believe that James Harden was running the show in Houston the way he was. See you later, Dwight Howard. An article came out yesterday saying that James Harden is out of control. I talked about this on Levitard today. I did the local hour today, Coca. And here is the example I gave, and I'm going to repeat it for you. And for those of you who listened to both, I'm sorry, but it's going to be a quick repeat. And it was this. James Harden uses his power that he has rightfully earned in a star league to do things that don't help a team win. LeBron James uses his power that he has earned in a star-driven league to help his team win. It's a major difference. James Harden uses his power to manipulate scheduling so he can have off days in different cities. He manipulates his power so he can take off day trips. He comes to practice whenever he wants to come to practice. He goes to film sessions when he's ready. He reports to camp when it's time, when he wants a load management day off or to play 10 minutes or 20 minutes or go in the game. When he calls the plays, it's him with the ball isolation, step back three, one of the great offensive players of all time. But his fingers look like this. They're totally ringless. James Harden's selfishness has not helped win, yet the owner continues to empower him. The monster that James Harden has been allowed to create is such that there's no killing it anymore. It's Frankenstein, except there's no concomitant benefit. If you're going to create Frankenstein, don't you want to be protected? Don't you want him to be loyal to you? Don't you want him to give you results? Don't you want him to help increase the value of your team by increasing the revenue of your team? Don't you want him to make sure that you make it to the NBA finals and then win a four out of seven series? Don't you want to make sure when you're up three games to one that that star player makes sure you don't lose that series? 
when you decide to give James Harden power the way the Clippers gave to Kawhi, who had won a championship in San Antonio, the way the Lakers have given to LeBron, as an owner, the most important thing you have to do is get it right. I was around a lot of players who got empowered for no reason, from Hanley Ramirez to Logan Morrison, Giancarlo Stanton to Jose Fernandez. Players who were empowered by an owner who meant well. One of the things that Jeffrey did as owner of the team is he wanted the players, he, he thought the players were artists, and they are. Remember, his background as an art dealer, he spent and was around artists all the time. And he would always say to me, David, you don't realize these players, they don't think like you do. They have a talent that you'll never understand because they're artists. To be able to throw a ball at 96 miles an hour and then a knee-buckling curveball, to be able to hit a home run 450 feet, to have eye-hand coordination the likes of which you couldn't dream about. It's an art, and you've got to give artists space and creative power. You've got to give them the ability to paint their blank canvas. The problem is some artists take the advances you give them and they roll it and they sniff it and it disappears in a powdery substance up their nose. Some artists take the advance you give them and they take a blank canvas and they create absolute crap. Some artists take the advance and create Memorable works on paper. Some players sign long-term deals and get even better. Some players take long-term deals and become selfish, horrific, loser players. James Harden has taken his maximum deal and done not one thing to benefit Houston. Instead, he has chosen to flex his power in ways that are deleterious to the team performance on the field. And now when he is sick of Houston, he's demanding a trade. Unfortunately, the power that he has, my official wait to see where we say things are going to happen. And if they don't, we'll revisit. And if we do, we will. Either way, we'll revisit it. The Rockets are going to have to trade James Harden. He will be traded before the start of next season. I don't know that he'll be traded before the start of this season, but he will be traded before his max contract is up. He'll be traded with time still left. The Rockets will have no choice but to give in one final time to the player who they empowered to the point that their franchise will remain ringless since 1995. When we come back, we're going to review a movie that Coca said he won't watch. But it's got Meryl Streep. It, got, it has James Carden. It's called The Prom. And we're also going to get into the fact that I will never pick college basketball again. Ever. Ever. We'll be right back. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think they'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Boyd in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you for making through that gauntlet. It's good. It's good. I appreciate you. And I would say this. If you are listening to this, please tell your friends about Nothing Personal. Subscribe, download. If you're watching Nothing Personal, subscribe to the channel. If you're watching the clip anyway. If you're watching the clip anyway, there's like this button that says subscribe. You hit it and it says subscribe. All right. I watch a movie every day. I go to Netflix often. And if it's trending, I'm watching it. And Coca makes fun of me every time. He literally makes fun of me every time. And he says to me, why... Do you watch the garbage that's trending when it's all done with algorithms meant to appeal to people at the lowest common denominator of movie watching? And I didn't want to tell him that I just watched a movie called The California Christmas. I can't review that right now because I'm still recovering from the fact that I watched a movie called The California Christmas and I did watch it. And maybe I'll review it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Instead, I watched a movie with Meryl Streep and James Corden. And of course, I'm going to watch this movie because I love Meryl Streep. And it was called The Prom. The Prom was a Broadway musical. They made a movie based on the musical. There are many of the songs that I loved. It was sound mixed wrong on my TV. And I don't know if anyone noticed this, if you've watched The Prom. I had to watch it in closed captioning, which is something that Coca taught me to do, where you can watch a movie that's in English in closed captioning, where the words are in English, and so you can hear what they're saying and get the words to the songs I'm going to have to watch Mank that way. I wish I'd known that for like three smoking barrels and one locked stock, but that's not the name of the movie, but it's the Guy Ritchie movie. Three locked barrels and a smoking smoker. Three stocked smokers and a locked barrel. Coco, what is the name of that movie? And, and, and Snatch and movies like that where you need to understand it. So The Prom is a musical. Meryl Streep is a singer. James Corden is a singer. I am quite annoyed that there is a lot of pushback at the moment, and I want to spend a few minutes on this. Lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Thank you. I was close. There was lock, and there was stock, and there was smoking. 
I'm sorry. Why does James Corden have to be gay? Just explain it to me. He's playing a gay character. And there is anger toward the studio that he was cast and he's straight. Anger. When straight women are cast as lesbians or when a non-trans is cast as trans or when a non-Native American is cast as a Native American? What if James Corden tried out for the prom and was the exact perfect person for the role? Should, is it our responsibility to get non-qualified people into a role? Or is your point that if there's two people equally qualified, go with the minority? And I have told you that I happen to agree with that in the business world. When there's two candidates who are exactly the same, I would rather the black candidate get hired because I think it's important to be diverse or for the Latino candidate. In an equal world, and I'm going to do everything I can running a baseball team to make sure that the pipeline, make sure that we are hiring diverse at every level of the organization. So as they improve and get promoted, they are candidates for positions. Neil Patrick Harris was cast in a show where he played a Lothario. It was a TV show, Coca. And I don't know why I'm just thinking of this now. Neil Patrick Harris was Doogie Howser. Neil Patrick Harris is gay. Neil Patrick Harris was the star of a show called How I, um, Two Men and a Brother or something. And, uh, How I Met Your, How I Met Your Mother was the name of the show. I never watched it, but I just knew. Are you angry? The same people who are angry that James Corden is in the prom. Are you angry that Neil Patrick Harris is in How I Met Your Mother? I don't think you are. The movie itself was mediocre. I can't think of one song. The way I judge musicals, by the way, and I love musicals. I love musical theater and I love Broadway. Oh, my God. Total side note, Coca. I saw an eight-minute Jimmy Fallon video where he summed up 2020. Uh, It's on YouTube. Please check it out. It's eight minutes. Jimmy Fallon, along with the guy from Book of Mormon, who was just in another movie that I think I reviewed or watched, or I may not have reviewed it yet. And his name is, I want to say, James Runnels. But I may have the name wrong because I'm thinking about James Corden. It's, it could be Jonathan Runnels and James Fallon. Jimmy Fallon did an eight-minute video that goes through Andrew Rannells. Thank you, Coca. <laughs> Andrew Rannells went through and did a video on The Tonight Show. And it sums up the year in a way that is brilliant. So check it out on YouTube and you'll be happy. James Corden, the guy who was in Begin Again, great movie, and has his own show at night, and he's the host of some award shows. So he's in this movie. It's totally mediocre, but you ought to check it out. And the reason you ought to check it out is I want you 
to let me know, oh, Andrew Rannells is in the prom. <laughs> Thank you, Coca, for helping me. Thank you for helping me. I knew I had just seen Andrew Rannells in something, and I did. He was in the movie we're reviewing today. God, I make me laugh sometimes. Sometimes this is your brain, and then you crack two fried eggs. This is your brain on drugs. I often feel like the pan receiving the two fried eggs saying, oh, no, don't put the drugs in today. No, not today. Please try to remember who was in the damn movie you watched two days ago. But alas, I didn't. I want you to watch The Prom because I'd rather you think to yourself, A, Meryl Streep is so talented, it's ridiculous. B, Nicole Kidman is awesome. C, James Corden is talented. D, do you have to be gay to play a gay character? And then decide for yourself and get back to me. Nothing personal pick of the day. I will hear me now and listen to me later. (laughs) I like that expression. I will not pick another college basketball game of two teams I don't know anything about. I'm not doing it. I chose Miami minus two and a half. Then I was told that it's Miami plus two and a half. And I thought, brilliant. They lost by 15 to the Pittsburgh Panthers. We're now 38 and 36 and our nothing personal pick of the day. And I'm at the end of my rope. I will no longer make these picks just to have a pick. I think it's better to only do a pick when you're positive that you have it right. So tonight, I have a pick for you because I've got it right. The San Diego Chargers are playing the Oakland Raiders, except they're the Los Angeles, sorry, Coca. The Los Angeles Chargers are playing the Las Vegas Raiders. The Los Angeles Chargers are plus three. The Raiders are not playing the Jets with Greg Williams blowing coverage at the last second. Why the Raiders are favored by three over the Chargers is record and quarterback related. Isn't Herbert the quarterback of the Chargers? We're going Chargers plus three because it's time now to go back to getting a field goal. We're 38 and 36. We got to go to 39 and 36. I can't understand the whole betting thing. When you're going to bet on the University of Miami Hurricanes basketball team, you can't name one player. Does that make it right? I guess there's people who do this for a living. If you're gambling and you're doing it for a living, then you're not paying attention to my pick of the day. If you're gambling and you're doing it for entertainment, you may pay attention to the pick of the day. You should pay attention to the pick of the day because I know just as much as you do if you don't do it for a living. That's the joke of it. We all know the same. We don't know. So use your dollars as entertainment dollars. When you gamble, pretend it's your entertainment. Hey, I want to watch this game. I'm going to put a little bit on. A dollar, $10. For whatever reason, don't take a pick of the day or gamble in any way and do it for business. Because betting on sports, except for a very few people who would tell you, hey, for me, it's business. And when you lose all the time, because I'm the bookie and I win all the time, don't worry. It's nothing personal. Here you go. Here you go.
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com